you'll return with me into 1 Samuel. In chapter 22, I, I pray that as we study the story of David, that we're strengthening our faith in God's anointed, but also strengthening our discipleship. As I hear people coughing, it reminds us of the discomforts of this life. And when we examine David's life, we see a life of great discomfort. And there's these pictures of God's anointed through David that we see in Jesus. But it also reminds me that there will be rest. David is in that rest now. We will be able to enjoy that rest. But following God's anointed is not about being comfortable. One of the things that we talk about training the distance runners is learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I oftentimes will take myself to those thoughts dealing with the challenges and difficulties of life so that I can learn to embrace what is uncomfortable in life embrace what is difficult or challenging in front of me and therein lies a true side of maturity when we can see the obstacle or the challenge or the difficulty as the way or as James would write we can rejoice in the trial knowing the effect that it's going to have when we yearn for kingdom work in that manner we become a servant God can use in many different ways but as long as we are in weakness and we complain about the difficulties or we fail to be disciplined in the spiritual disciplines it's going to be hard for God to use us so as we continue to study and examine David's life and we continue to look at these pictures I pray that we'll look at them in a way not as to just strengthen our faith as it should but to strengthen our discipleship as well all right, let us come. As we get back into chapter 22, remember David had tried to go to Gath, uh, thinking that that might be a solution as far as getting away from King Saul, who very clearly wants to kill him. But that solution, uh, or that was not going to be a solution. It was also very fascinating that the Philistines recognized David as king, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, whereas we'll come to see Israel does not. Extremely fascinating. And now we see him at the beginning of chapter 22, hiding in a cave in Adullam, which is just inside the borders of Israel. David's family hears about it. But as we look at verse 2, we remember that there's others who hear about it. And then we should definitely notice those that come to David. Everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is discontented or grieved in their soul, gathered to David, and he became commander over them, about 400 men. In our last lesson, we had pointed out how these outcasts were drawn to David, but I want to kind of look at this a little bit differently today. Of course, God is trying to step into David's shoes or crawl into his skin and really imagine what this would be like as far as being the anointed. Remember, the spear of the Lord had been given to David, but yet he's fleeing from his life and then really thinking about how that would feel and how that decision-making process would go on the day-to-day -day as the sun would come up and the sun would go down. But yet a solution, a clear solution, wouldn't always be right there at his fingertips. As we imagine this, we've got to think about ourselves too. Would we, are we, am I the type of person that would go running to David in that cave? And that's one of the thoughts that we'll put before us today. Am I the, the type of disciple 
that will willingly put myself in the type of distress and discomfort and difficulty that David is in to follow God's anointed. Now we see that David takes his followers and his parents to a stronghold in Moab. Now we can think about Ruth, of course, and knowing that that's David's great-grandmother. And we know that God works providentially in amazing ways, and perhaps he was working this out even before now. But he has found safety in Moab, and particularly for his parents. But notice what happens. Verse 5 of chapter 22, a prophet comes to David and tells him to go back to Judah and to not remain in the stronghold. So he finds safety, and then God tells him through the prophet, get out of safety. Go back to Judah. Go back into the trouble. And so we see that the Spirit, God would have David to be amongst the problems and the troubles and have to persist in these difficulties as Saul would try to kill him. We also notice that David is receiving special guidance from God. And we remember back from chapter 16 when we read that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Saul is not receiving any guidance from God. And of course, we'll see that in the decisions that he makes as he continues to reject God's plan and to try to create his own plans. And then, of course, we see David going and inquiring of the Lord over and over and over and be obeying God over and over again. Now, as we continue to read and look in the text, Saul continues to be pictured as one that is completely unhinged, not knowing exactly what he should do, but wanting David's life desperately. And he speaks to all the people and, and tells them as if they've all conspired against him. It's like he's feeling sorry for himself in this particular instance. And then we see Doag, the Edomite, steps up. And we remember back when David had gone to Nob and he was with the priest and he knew that Doag was there and that he was loyal to Saul. And so he was very careful in what he said and even said that Saul had sent him on a secret mission. But we come to find out here that Doag understood and has definitely figured it out at this point that David was on no secret mission from Saul. And so Doag is able to reveal to Saul that David had been at Nob. He had been with Halimelech, had trouble with that every time, especially with the coffin. And that through that, that he had given him not only the sword, but had inquired of the Lord for him. And basically that he had helped David. And so now, of course, Saul is extremely upset and calls for Ahimelech and the other priests to come. And when they come, he questions Ahimelech and says, you know, is this true? And then we see his response. And it's a good response. It's a reasonable defense. David is a faithful servant of yours. He's your son-in-law. He's captain over your bodyguard, and he's honored in your house. Yes, he's inquired, and I helped him. How would I know that what you say is such? Why would I not help David is basically what the priest is saying in this regard. But Saul will have none of it. And he says that Ahimelech is to be killed and all the priests, but none of Saul's people or none of Israel will do it. And so then he turns to Doag and tells him to kill Ahimelech and the other priest. And Doag is willing to do it. So he killed 85 priests along with men, women, children, infants, and all the animals of Nah. So one of the interesting there, things there is they did in this instance what Saul had failed to do with the Amalekites. But yet there is one important detail. And this is where we see the, 
the sovereignty, the providence of God. He's going to preserve David. He's going to preserve God's anointed. And Halimlech's son, Abiathar, is able to get away and he flees and makes his way to David. Now, the other thing that's extremely interesting is back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we saw that God, through a prophecy, had said that he was going to bring an end to the line of Eli. Remember Eli's son, Eli the priest and his sons were, or not Eli, but his sons were wicked. And then there was punishment and that their line would end. So even in the evil that Doag did, he brought about the fulfillment of God's prophecy. So Ahimelech is the grandson of Phinehas. If you go back and look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, you'll see that they were to be completely cut off and it was to happen by a violent death. That was about 40 to 50 years prior to this instance here. And of course, God's word was fulfilled. It's another reminder, God's amazing providence that even working through the evil that people would do, he's able to fulfill his promises, fulfill his word. And that's what happened here. Another thing to notice in chapter 22 is that Saul said to Halimelech, quote, you shall surely die, end quote. But when we see Abiathar come to David at the end of chapter 22, David says to Abiathar, you will be safe with me. And so there's this picture that's forming. Saul is becoming a destroyer of Israel. And David is becoming a savior to Israel. And we'll see as we open in chapter 23 that David saves and he is saved. For the Philistines mount an attack against Israel at Keilah. And this is one of those bordering type towns. It's still in Israel, but it's very co close to the Philistines. And so David's not sure what to do. So he inquires of the Lord. He knows that if he goes to Keilah, he will reveal himself to Saul. Saul will know where he is and therefore there will be some vulnerability there. And so David inquires and the Lord responds and says that you are to go. But David's men are afraid. They're afraid of Saul's army, and they're afraid of the Philistines as well. So David goes and inquires of the Lord again, and the Lord tells him again that you are to go. So David doesn't listen to the people. He knows that they're afraid. He went to inquire of the Lord a second time, maybe to comfort them, to ensure them that, yes, this is God's will, but ultimately David obeys God, and he takes the men and they go to Keilah. Now observe, as Saul hears about David and Keilah, he does just what we think that he would do. All right, Him not having the spirit of the Lord, he interprets this incorrectly. He says, oh, God has delivered David into my hand. So he gathers up his whole army, and he's going to go. He knows that Keilah is a fortified city. So he thinks, okay, David and his men are in the city. I'll be able to set up, and I'll besiege them. So Saul's got this plan. I can see his excitement as he heads uh, to fulfill this plan. David understands the vulnerability that he's in, but he's trusting the Lord. And even upon his success in freeing the Israelites from the Philistines within the attack, he inquires of the Lord again. He asks uh, for the ephod to be brought to him by Abiathar. He inquires of the Lord, will Keilah tell Saul, will the people of Keilah, the Israelites, will they tell Saul of my whereabouts? Basically, will they betray me? And God reveals to David that they would, right? So we talked about that picture earlier. The people of Gath, the Philistines, they recognize David as the king. 
right? They remember David had killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. And they say that he's the king. Well, Israel sees Saul as the king. We see that here and we'll see it again here just shortly. They are not respecting David as God's anointed. I know some of your minds are already drifting to the pictures of Jesus as the anointed, and rightfully so. So as Saul comes, and of course, like we said, they betrayed his knowledge, but as we get into verse 14, we see that David and his men make a run for it, and they end up in the wilderness, the wilderness of Ziph. And it says, listen to the end of verse 14, quote, And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So we see God working providentially to preserve David. And one thing that's extremely fascinating is Saul is searching for him day after day and cannot find him. But then as you read, who is able to find him easily, it seems? Jonathan, Saul's son. There's no difficulty. It would seem that he goes right to where David is and he's able to talk to David and he encourages David. And one of the things that he does that I know is just so powerful is he gives David this beautiful vision. You will not be taken by Saul. You will not be killed. You will be the king and I will be by your side. Now, we know most of that came to pass, but this would be the last time that Jonathan would ever see David again. But he accomplished his mission. He strengthened David, and David continued about his work for the Lord. So we saw that continuing up through verse 17 of chapter 23. So if we step back, we notice David has divine access to God, and he is inquiring, he is going to the Lord and using that divine access, the spirit of the Lord is with David. Saul doesn't have it. And there's much evidence that he is trying to figure this out on his own as he makes these mistakes and keeps trying to create his own plan and reject the plan of God. But we also see divine encouragement, God using Jonathan to encourage David. And we think about our own struggles, our own work, and the way that God would use us to encourage one another so that we can continue in the work of the Lord. Now, as we see the people in the wilderness of Ziph, there's a situation, once again, David is hiding, Saul is looking for him. And again, just like the Israelites in Keilah, the people, of the, the people in the wilderness of Ziph that are Israelites, they betray David as well. So Israel is betraying David. They're giving information to who they think is the king, Saul, and then Saul is using that information to track down David. And it would seem as we're getting to verse 25 of chapter 23, David has left the wilderness of Ziph. He's coming to the wilderness of Maon and Saul is heavy on them. And it would seem that they've gotten to a place where they are stuck. A mountain, David and his men on one side, Saul and his men on the other. And David is desperately fleeing from Saul's men. And it seems inevitable at this point that Saul and his men are going to overtake David and then a messenger comes. The Philistines are raiding Israel. Hurry, Saul. Bring your men. We've got to go. God is going to preserve his anointing even when he uses unrighteous people like the Philistines. God is going to accomplish his 
purpose. And we see it all throughout the story of David, but we also see David who's willing to be faithful and to trust God, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And here, of course, this mountain becomes called the, the rock of escape. God rescues David from the betrayal of Israel in the hand of Saul, and so we see divine providence. And I think about providence sometimes. It's not just God bringing about you know, his, his will or his plan, but he seems to do it in these strange, mysterious ways, which gives greater evidence that he is this almighty God that's completely sovereign, which is extremely comforting to us who follow him. Now, let's reflect back on the story and let's see these pictures of God's anointed that are, of course, fulfilled in the Christ, in Jesus. The first one we see is that he was sent into trials. God could have allowed David to stay in a stronghold, to be safe. But God sent his anointed into danger, into trouble. And we think about even in Matthew chapter 4, and there's lots of examples as we think about the gospel story where we could apply this. But chapter 4, verse 1 of, of Matthew, I mean, he's just been baptized. You have the scene with God speaking and the dove, like the Spirit descending upon him. It's very obvious, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all joined together in the work that Jesus is about to do. And then where does he go next? The Spirit takes him into the wilderness to be tempted. And we're going to see in the next three chapters, David's taken into the wilderness and he'll be tempted as well. So certainly a fulfillment of that picture that was created through David and fulfilled through Jesus, God's anointed. Now, the second thing we see, and this is one of those more subtle pictures, Doag is an Edomite and he almost completely exterminates a whole people, the people of Nob, all the priests women, children, even the animals, only Abiathar is able to escape. And we think about Jesus upon his birth and Herod, an Edomite, killing the young males to a younger. A degree of extermination right there at the anointed's youth. But of course, God preserved the anointed. The third picture we see is that the anointed will be recognized by Gentiles and rejected by Israel. The Israelites betray David, the true anointed, and they recognize another as the anointed. They're recognizing Saul as king when David is the rightful king. He's the one that God has anointed. But they reject God's anointed, and they follow the other. And of course, that's exactly what we see with Jesus Christ. As the Jews, or many of them, rejected the Christ, though he was right there, and they had all the privilege for which to understand and to see it, but yet they did not. They're blind. And that, of course, leads us to the fourth picture of the anointed, that the anointed will be betrayed, but God would rescue him. And we see that Jesus being betrayed by his own disciple, Judas, but through the resurrection of the dead, through God raising Jesus, he, of course, rescues Jesus, but, of course, more importantly, all of mankind are rescued through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then finally, the anointed will be a man of sorrows and trouble. And we see that throughout Jesus' life. Recall what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. 
and we held him in low esteem. That is amazing to think that through God's plan, that his anointed could be described as such. An almighty creator God. Wow. That his anointed, that it would be his plan and his wisdom that he would choose his anointed to be treated by mankind in such a way. That's amazing. But we know God will fulfill his purposes even in using wicked people. Listen to what was said by Peter in Acts chapter 2 in his sermon to all those Jews on Pentecost. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Right? God put his anointed to accomplish this from a predestined plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God allowed lawless men, wicked men, to put their hands on his anointed for a purpose that had been predestined, a plan that had been prepared from before the foundations of the earth. This was God's plan. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God would allow wicked people to help him bring about his plan that he predestined. Which brings me to the final focus of today's lesson, and that's the faith that it would take to follow the anointed. Jonathan risked great danger in order to go to David, to follow David, to aid David, and to help David in all these different ways. Jonathan could have been the king, of course not the rightful king, but he could have followed Saul's plan. And he could have taken the status, he could have taken the wealth, he could have taken the power, the influence, he could have taken all those things that man by nature just seems to yearn for. But yet, Jonathan rejected all those things, knowing that it was futile, it was temporal. And he was willing to give his life to serve God's anointed. And in giving his life, as y'all already know by Jesus' words, he gained life. And that's where I take us. Jesus himself tells us that if we try to save our own life by our own means, by our own mind, we will inevitably lose it. It's impossible for us to save ourselves. We are going to have to give our lives in order to inherit eternal life. Now consider some things that Paul wrote. Paul wrote to Timothy, trying to encourage Timothy. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We can look about the world and we can see that. And we have a choice. We can allow ourselves to be discouraged by that or we can trust in the wisdom of God's word and what's been put before us and know that if we, like Jonathan, will give of our lives, that we will inherit. And all these fleshly things that we could have in the temporal are not worth it. They're simply not worth it. Let those go bad to worse. We can do our best to preach and shine the light, but if they simply will not listen, they will not listen. But far be it for us to be deceived and to fall into the same wickedness and trap and death. We cannot allow such. We must remain strong in the Lord. Bear these distresses. Bear these discomforts. Bear these struggles knowing that it's worth it. And we will have our rest just as David rests now. And just as Jesus sits at the right hand of God now 
interceding for us and helping us in our struggles. And one day we will be with him in paradise. We will. Paul also wrote to the churches. This is Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 21. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Entering the kingdom and kingdom work is going to be about hardships. It's just a part of the process. We have to accept. There's not going to be hardly many things that are going to be easy about following Jesus. Now, there are many benefits in Jesus Christ, but the work that would be put before us, especially those that are equipped and mature, is going to be challenging. Preaching the gospel is going to be challenging. It's going to be challenging day up and day out to encourage one another and stay encouraged and to continue to be a light. It's going to be challenging providing for the needs of each other. It's going to be challenging bearing burdens of one another. All of those things are going to be challenging. The word tells us as such. But again, we know that it's worth it. What we cannot do is be like Saul. Saul tries to keep his life, but yet think that he's following God. And that's a deception and a lie. And that's where we have to be extremely careful and examine. Am I like Saul or am I like David? Am I one that's willing to go to David in the cave? One that's discontented, distressed, indebted, and willing to follow the anointed and to take on the sufferings and persecutions of this life? Or have I grown comfortable in this life that I've created for myself and have I had found ways to justify it and try to follow God in my own way so that I can keep my own life so that I can be happy. It's dangerous. We must see the difference between the two and make sure, like Jonathan, that we are following God's anointing in the right way so that we can stay in the light and receive the rest when that time comes. We cannot resist the will of the Lord. So the question comes back to our faith. Will we have the faith? We'll always be able to see or hear, or touch. But we have everything we need to have strong faith and strong discipleship so that we can continue to do the work of the Lord. So here in a moment as we pray, I just ask that that the one that's praying, that he'll pray that our faith will be increased and that we'll be strong and courageous, just like God told Joshua as he was going to enter the promised land. Because with the strength and courage of the Lord, if we'll depend on God, we can do anything that he puts before us. These thoughts are yours. We'll go to the Lord in prayer.